Good afternoon and welcome to your American Heritage, baby. My name is Ed Bondarenka, and I am. I'm not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. And producing the show and the guy that answers your calls and is a black belt, eighth degree in Google Foo is the Swiss Army knife of radio, Derek Stone. Derek hosts Stone Cold Sports Truth Sundays at noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd hosts the intersection at noon. And the intersection is not your normal fluffy Christian show. And you should listen to both of them. Not to mention the whole Saturday lineup of Abolitionist Roundtable at 9 a.m., Trigger Talk at 11, and Moment of Clarity right before this show at 1. And if you missed any, go to the podcast page at whamradio.com to catch up or share with your friends. Your American Heritage is on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, and you can subscribe. Boost the signal. Be a Paul Revere and get the word out. It's day 867 of the coup, the theft of the American government by enemies both foreign and domestic. As part of his second inaugural speech, Abraham Lincoln said, on the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it, all sought to avert it. While the inaugural address was being delivered from this place, devoted altogether to saving the union without war, Insurgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it without war, seeking to dissolve the union and divide effects by negotiation. Both parties deprecated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive. And the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. Well, we are at a war. It is a war for this nation's soul. That's almost become a cliche. The culture of a nation, the principles that it aspires to, might be considered its soul. This nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles that have become known as Western civilization. And even with its flaws, there's been no better attempt at a government and a nation than the United States of America. Most nations have been formed from clans and ethnic groups. America was formed on an ideal that welcomed members of other clans and despite the efforts of the Democrats, other ethnicities. Now those ideals are being attacked. That is an attack on the foundation of this nation. The pollution of our values to include perversion and murder of our youth and the overrunning of our borders by groups not in sync with our limited government founding threatens all of us. Threatens to divide us both politically and perhaps militarily. This would be a huge mistake and play into the hands of our external adversaries. But it's as if our political and cultural opponents would prefer that as a fifth column for the destruction of our nation by an external ally of theirs. More on that in the forthcoming interview with our guest. Meanwhile, Psalm 144 says, blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Please clasp your hands and your fingers. Let's pray. Let's go to war. Father, please protect our nation and our state from these evil tyrants and please deliver us from these ungodly oppressors. We live in a land that has become wicked. Help us cleanse this land and remove the wickedness that has come to power. Please lead and guide the American people in the days to come in resistance to these people. Restore goodness and morality to the governance of our nation and our state. Amen. My guest today is Colonel Grant Newsom. He's a senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy. Excuse me a second. Grant, is that you wrestling all those papers back there? Not anymore. Okay. <laughs> He is also a research fellow at the Japan Forum for Strategic Studies focusing on Asia-Pacific defense, political and economic matters. Colonel Newsom is a retired U.S. Marine colonel, 
but of course is still a Marine and was the first U.S. Marine liaison officer to the Japan Self-Defense, Ground Self-Defense Force. He also served as Reserve Head of Intelligence for Marine Forces Pacific and was the U.S. Marine Attaché, U.S. Embassy Tokyo on two occasions. Colonel Newsom wrote and recently released When China Attacks. I've been reading it all week. I highly recommend it. We're going to talk about that and some other things. Colonel Grant, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about how you got here. Well, well a little biography, a little biography. Sure, sure, be glad to. Yeah, I am. Um, um, <clears throat> I'm from Virginia, so I'll start there, and uh, then I'll go backwards. Uh, you know, I ended up uh, living in Asia for 25 years and working in and around Asia for about 40. I uh, worked with it was with the Marines for about 30 years, uh, active and reserve. Uh, also worked as a diplomat for the U.S. State Department for about eight, nine years, uh, and also worked for an investment bank uh, in Japan, and also a high-tech company uh, called Motorola, which used to exist before it committed suicide, partly in China, and was one of America's uh, most respected companies. Uh, so what I've done is, with this book, and I'll just use that as the focus, uh, is that after all this experience looking at China, Asia, uh, and from different perspectives, military, uh, the diplomatic core, uh, the financial world, the business world. Um, and I thought I had a few ideas to, to offer. Uh, so what I put, tried to put these down and give my take on, uh, on the matter. Uh, but ultimately, I suppose I'm what comes of a liberal arts education. Um, got a, a very short attention span. Uh, but that's pretty much how I got here. And I wrote the, you know, I wrote the book, actually. I was at, well, I was asked to write it. Uh, was one thing, but the, I mean, it was intended for people who don't live and breathe foreign policy, don't live and breathe Asia. Uh, but for example, you know, they they know something's going on and they hear all the time about threats and how China's a problem and this and that. Uh, but also most recently, when you saw that spy balloon over Montana and the rest of the United States, you know, people looked up and they said, what, you know, what is going on? Well, this book is like to answer that question. And and that's one way to look at it. You know, it's intended for people who want to know what's going on. And even people who do know what's going on might find a few uh, ideas in there that uh, either they find interesting or else that infuriate them. Well, it does a very good job of explaining what's going on. I, I have a friend who lives in Colorado. He's a uh, Oh, former SEALs, runs a security company. He's been in and out of China quite a bit. He has uh, some experiences there. And for instance, I asked him recently, I said, well, wait a minute, Australia wants to buy submarines from us. And yet I thought they were going over to the China side. I have no idea what's going on. You can't tell mm -hmm. the players without a program. And to some degree, your book provides a program. And uh, it's interesting that you started out with the scenario you did in the first chapter of uh, what might happen should China attack, particularly Taiwan, which would also be in, in tandem an attack on the West. And uh, boy, it was pretty scary. There's some stuff there that I wasn't quite sure, I was hoping wouldn't happen the way it would. And, and yet as I'm reading, I'm going like, holy cow, this is almost prophetic. It would happen exactly like this. How'd you come up with, how'd you work that up? You know, you, you know, I thought about it, you know, and tried I hope to, so. <laughs> you know, well, that was it. You know, you have to think about all this stuff, you know, and, um, 
you know, consider different possibilities. And it, you know, it is this, it is this combination of things that I've had hap- seen happen. Uh, you know, the sort of where our, what our military has gotten itself into, but also the, the fact that the, the, the attack on us has been as much psychological, uh, economic, financial uh, as anything else. And we have allowed our defenses, we've allowed our country's strength really to be eroded. Uh, by this fixation on on the China market by accommodating the PRC, uh, but also you know I wanted to also get across the idea that we may not win. You know, there's always you know particularly for Americans of my age, you know, we always think well we grew up thinking well America always wins, and I think many people have always thought well somewhere there's a a military there's smart people in Washington who've got everything figured out. And no matter you know what might be out there on the horizon, we will prevail. And I wanted to get across, you know, for one, that this may not happen, uh, and also wanted to give a sense uh, eventually in the book of how we got to this point, and then what do we do about it? Uh, so it, you know, it's, uh, you will note, of course, and maybe the the idea originally came. Now that I think about it, the basic idea uh, came from when I was in the Marines in the the 80s. I read a Tom Clancy book. And what I noticed, and it was, I think, Red Star Rising, a red, uh, red Storm Rising, about a Russian invasion of uh, Western Europe. And in it, mm-hmm. you know, the Americans were on the, on the ropes. And then at the end of the day, some, you know, tough-talking, cigar-chomping army colonel, you know, he disobeys orders and he saves us. And you read a lot of the stealth. Went in oh, with the stealth too, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, you know, his, you know, this shaving. He had a haircut like mine, I suppose, but some. Uh, and yeah, and the, it struck me as even then, you know, it, that's how they always end. That's how these stories always end. You know, some brash American comes in at the last minute, saves the day, and then they light up a cigar. And my thing, you know, think is well, maybe not. You know why? You know that's the Greeks used to use that in their plays where you have this horrible mess, and at the end something called this dusek machina, this device would come in and fix everything, and that's what we do. And we tend to think that well, somehow there's going to be somebody who saves the day. And I would suggest and that's what uh, and I think that is probably where the idea first originated. Is well, maybe not. And even then, you knew that you couldn't count on it. You had to do what was necessary to protect yourself, to protect the country. And you could not count on, you know, God, you know, putting it simply, God giving us one more chance than we deserve. Uh, you know, that's, uh, I think Bismarck said that you know, the God gives special treatment to like drunks, pregnant women and the United States of America. And it does seem like we get these chances that, you know, that would be, you know, they got to come from somewhere. And I, not just in case there isn't one more left, um, I thought I structured the book this way, but but also it's uh, it's you know it is not far fetched, and I think the scenario described you know I could you know I wrote it because I could see it happening. Oh, it's it's very believable, and and to go off on your your other uh, uh, Bismarck quote uh, along those lines, I believe America at one time was a city on a shining hill, and it was a righteous nation. There's, there's corruption in it. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we're perfect. But as a set of principles and ideals that we put up on a shelf and we all saluted them, it's it's there's nothing else like it in the world to this day. But when we become a nation of perversion and abortion and special rights and we leave the principles behind, particularly the Judeo-Christian principles, 
then God may pull a Babylon on us and carry us off into captivity for a while, just like he did his other chosen people, if you want to look at it that way. I trust that won't happen. I, I personally look for a reform in this country. You know, I, part of how we got here, I just realized while you were talking was, I read this book, I think it might've been two or three of them, The Greening of America, the the fourth wave or so, the third wave, something like that, back in the 70s, long time ago. And they were talking about how we were gonna move industrialization offshore and have America be an ecological paradise. And by inference, although they didn't say it, let those other third world countries be ecological nightmares, you know? And we'll just do all our manufacturing over there and keep all the management here. And the whole time I was reading that, even back then, I thought, what a racist notion. Do you really think if you transfer all that technology to China, they are totally incapable of reverse engineering it, <laughs> yeah. figuring it out, and then developing their own management class? Are, are you guys, well, of course, I'm pretty sure the left is by definition racist uh, if you look at the Civil War, but that's another story for another day. So. Yeah, I mean, we really screwed up Royal. It's one thing if, if we were trying, as Richard Nixon said, to actually bring them into the world community. And I'm, I'm not sure where I sit on that one yet. <clears throat> and then bring them, you know, there was, oh, if we give them the World Trade Authority, you know, then, then they'll grow up. And of course, all they've done is like you point out in your book pretty aptly, they use a lot of stuff against us, a lot of privileges that we've given them to try and encourage them to mature as a government to, to actually... <coughs> play us against ourselves. Is there anything you want to say about that? Well, you've described it, and that that's what happened. You know, they have, and it's best to look at this as a form of economic warfare. And that is, it was not an accident that this happened. You know, China was very glad to have us hand us, uh, or hand them, you know, our business, hand us our tech, hand them our technology, move our companies, move our factories from America to China and help them build up their own economy. And the idea behind building up their economy, which along with that, you build up your military, really was to eventually defeat the United States, to surpass the United States, dominate it, and ultimately defeat it. And that has been the attention, for the, the, really their intention from the beginning. It's just taken them some time. But you also note that there's a psychological warfare aspect to this. And that's that they got the American business class, the financial class, and even a lot of the political class to think that this was a good thing. And if you can get your enemy to do something which harms him, <laughs> which weakens him, and to think that it, it makes sense, that it's, you know, it's smart business, uh, that it, uh, it's statesmanship, because we're going, because by helping China get more successful, get bigger, stronger, they're going to liberalize. And they're going to become the so-called responsible stakeholder that sees how the rules of the world work, and they're going to become like a really big Canada. Uh, so if you, as I said, if you can get your enemy to think these things and think it's the right thing to do, well, my goodness, you've been successful. And that is, from a Chinese perspective, this is a form of warfare. Their concept of war is very different from ours. Where, so for them, psychological warfare, economic warfare, financial warfare, biological warfare, you name it. You know, these are things that we don't recognize as war, but they do. And they've been very successful on that. You now, just an aside, I, I mentioned I worked for Motorola. Uh, well, Motorola went into China big time, about 1990 onwards. Uh, and they were effectively the anchor tenant for all of this American shift towards China. 
And they did everything the Communist Party wanted them to do. They did everything right, supposedly. And they built factories. They hired a lot of Chinese people, gave them good jobs, uh, even sold some Motorola products there. But what you knew was happening was that they were building their competition. Uh, they handed over a lot of technology and a lot of what they didn't hand over got stolen. That was not hard at all. And within five, six years, you had competitors building things that were pretty good and a lot cheaper. And Motorola basically doesn't exist these days except for a little chunk of it, a little piece of it. And the rest of it is largely owned by a company called Lenovo, which is a Chinese company. Uh, and that is an excellent example of what you described. But think of the effect of that. You know, you had gen multiple generations of people who had worked at Motorola, families that made their livelihoods from it. Uh, it, you know, and all the this ecosystem of suppliers and other companies that supported Motorola in Illinois and other places, and all gone. And all you have to do if you want to see the the effects of this, and Motorola is just one example, is if you want to see the effects, just walk through parts of any big American city or even Baltimore. not so. Take your pick, and you Baltimore. go through there. Yeah, Baltimore will do fine. And I'd like to see the you know, congressmen and their staff uh, take some trips up there. Uh, and these used to be places where people made things, where you had you know, people worked in, in decent jobs and they lived pretty good lives. And you'd look at these places and you can see the architectural remnants of it, where it looked like well, these used to be nice neighborhoods and now they are absolute hell holes. And, you know, and the human effect of this has just been catastrophic. You know, you give these people, you're just opening up for this drug, a drug assault uh, that is, that's hit. And most of the, the most dangerous drug, fentanyl, comes from China. Uh, they could stop it in a minute. And they don't, or they don't, and we don't either. And it killed 70,000 Americans last year. 70,000. Um, that is more than died in the entire Vietnam War. And this happened in one year, and it's been happening uh, for some years now. And these, this is effectively a war that we are uh, engaged in. We just don't recognize it as such. But China is fighting a war against us. I'm glad you mentioned that because the title of your book is When China Attacks. And I'm thinking the whole time I'm reading it, China has attacked. It, it, they've already attacked. We just don't realize it. Now, maybe maybe the, the next edition will be when we realize China attacked. <laughs> Well, that would be, that could be, that'll be if there's another edition. But the, the title does have two meanings. Uh, one is a future uh, tense, which, you know, sometime in the future. And the other is, oh, well, it present. could be a present. And that's very much what the book is about, to get across that we, they have attacked, we are under attack. Uh, and it's just in on fronts that we don't consider warfare. You know, we look at business, you know, economic uh, dealings with another country is just business. China doesn't. It's very much a zero-sum game, which means they want to put us out of business. Uh, and that is what is going to happen to every country, the company that goes into China. And, you know, if we're not being able, if we're not successful economically, well, China is, and they love that. Uh, and if you think of the Chinese idea of war compared to ours, you know, we look at war as, say, a hundred-yard dash, you know, where both parties get up, come up to the mar the line, sort of stretch and shake a little bit, and then they get into the crouch and then the starter says, go. And then the shooting starts and, you know, at the end, there's a winner. Uh, but China does, they look at that part of it, the shooting as the last step 
if it's necessary. Because if you've done your attack on these other fronts and you have weakened your enemy uh, to the point that he either is so confused, you know, just so uh, weak, unable to defend himself, he's fighting, he's fight, his own people are fighting each other uh, more than they're looking out at outward enemies. Uh, you, he's allowed his military to lapse. Uh, and in the meantime, you have they've built up their own military, unfortunately, into a force that could beat us in certain circumstances. Uh, that all of this is setting up the enemy for eventual defeat. And you may not even have to uh, go so-called go kinetic. That's the, the word they use these days for shooting. So that is really just the last stage, clean. step of it. And the, so my book actually is it. I, that's the ideal, you know. Get them to win without fight. To, you want to win without fighting. So my book actually it maybe surprise a few people because it the military part of it is it, it's in there, but it's not the main part. I, I get the whole spectrum of uh, things that are happening to us and will happen. And yeah, and that's right. And the and the book is when China attacks by Colonel Grant Newsom, and it's I believe it's Regenerate Press. I've actually, yeah. you don't mm -hmm. care who publishes it, folks. You just go to Amazon and buy it, and that's that, right? Or you know, Barnes and Noble or whoever you want to buy it from. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Colonel Grant is uh, uh, well published. He's on a. You just Google um, uh, Google his name, and you will see lots of stuff. In fact, um, oh, I do do do. I had a blurb of somebody saying something good about you, but I changed pages, so I lost it. Never mind. So, well, there's only you know, one. I guess there's only one, so it's easy to. No, I hope <laughs> not. But, uh, yeah. No, actually, and you know, you use a term in the book, entropic warfare, and it took a while, but I finally realized you didn't mean fighting in the tropics. You, you <laughs> meant entropy, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. Well, when I first, because well, you, know, you know, Southeast Asia, yeah. when we fought there, was fighting in the tropics. So who knew? We we're you know? fighting. That's that, that. I actually had to work over that when the idea came up. Yeah. You know. Okay. So in tropic warfare, and we are going to come back shortly because uh, let's see now. Oh, we have like a minute and a half before the music starts, or so. Derek usually puts up a sign at the minute mark, so I know when to shut up. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about that concept and uh, also the concept of letting a foreign nation uh, of a rival, an adversarial rival, control your whole pharmaceutical supply chain. <laughs> I mean, what could possibly go wrong there? So describe what you mean by entropic warfare before Derek puts up the sign that says 30 mm -hmm. seconds. Well, one, it's probably worth, you know, even even I have to look, you know, look it up now and then. You, it's a state of con utter confusion, the inability to move. Uh, and that's one way to look at it. If you think of, say, Congress at its worst, when nothing happens, when everyone's fighting with each other. And it's uh, it, so utter confusion is a pretty good way to look at it. And you've got your enemy, that's what you want your enemy to be. Uh, and if you've got them there, the rest is the rest is pretty easy. Yes, entropy as opposed to uh, um, order. And so, folks, I'm speaking with Colonel Grant Newsom, and his book is When China Attacks. And you can hear more and actually call in after the break. So join us. Uh, join us then. Thanks.
We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Well, thanks for joining us and returning to your American heritage, baby. Yeah, Theron's going to have to come in a little quicker there. I'm your host, Ed Bondarenka, and joining me is Colonel Grant Newsom, the author of When China Attacks, which uh, pretty much describes what they're doing right now in in, a, in the opening salvo. And um, we were talking about um, a number of issues, and one of them was entropic warfare. And that, as the Colonel explained, was... Uh, Basically, where you introduce entropy into uh, your adversary's system and culture. And so to explain entropy is uh, a Newton's third law. Basically says that a system that does not have intelligence and energy uh, put into it tends towards entropy. And we often think of rust or corrosion or corruption when we think of that. But basically everything falls apart. And so when everything falls apart and there's no cohesion, there's no anything holding anything together, you are vulnerable to entropic attack. Did I do a good job with that? Say yes. I'd, I'd really appreciate that. It works for me. It's your, it, it works for me. You're going after the, the mind. and the, Thank you. Just, as you say, that structure of a society. And if you can, conf if you can get it uh, confused and fighting against itself, uh, the whole thing collapses or is easily pushed over. I'm reminded of the um, the Cloward Pivens strategy, where these two leftist Marxist uh, political professors came up with the strategy of overwhelming the system by having everybody apply for Social Security and everybody apply for welfare and strain the system so much that you couldn't afford the system to maintain the system anymore, and then there'd be rioting in the streets and. The only thing is we haven't gotten to the rioting parts yet because we've given out so much COVID money that inflation's going up, banks are collapsing. Geez, I wonder if that had anything to do with China introducing, however they did it, a virus into this country that then they then exhorted us to follow suit and do lockdowns and shut stuff down. And um, basically, oh, by the way, now we'll pay everybody for not working. Yeah, that, that sounds a little bit entropic right there. Just shut systems down. That's the definition of entropy. Wow. Hey, I learned something. Thank you. You caused me to think Very for much. myself. Yeah, they, they certainly took advantage of the opportunity uh, that this COVID outbreak uh, gave them. Uh, and it, it came from China. There's no question about that. China has not been helpful in uh, figuring out what happened. And, and that was from the beginning. Uh, but they liked what they saw. You know, if you think of the effects of that and how, remember how the economy was humming uh, before we destroyed ourselves, uh, that it, it was absolutely humming. And we were, you know, America was on a roll and China was really on the back foot. And yet just overnight, they got us to uh, shut ourselves down, to take away freedoms that we, I never thought people would give up. 
I never thought our representatives would allow it to happen, even you know, on any side of the spectrum. And they got us to do all of this. And the economics of, uh, economic effects of this just been immense. And the financial effects, you know, now we're debasing the US dollar more than we ever have. And this is, this is really the last big club we have over the Chinese is the US dollar. Um, you had, mm -hmm. and you said we haven't had uh, rioting in the street. Well, summer of 2020. Uh, well, you know, okay. We sure did. And that was, you know, along with the Oh, those were peaceful protests. Thing. Mostly, mostly, yeah. mostly peaceful protests, and, uh, I'm yeah. sorry. But that was, but if you actually trace the origins of Black Lives Matter, uh, that back to the beginning and not even the beginning to what it is now, you will find Chinese influence there. Uh, it's very clear. Uh, so you combine all of this, and, and when you apply this pressure on an enemy, you never quite know how it's going to play out. And, but the knock-on effects of this have just been uh, outstanding for the PRC. Uh, I don't think they, they must be pinching themselves to see how they have got their main enemy, and that's the word they use, because we are the country that keeps them uh, from really uh, ultimately global domination. Uh, they've got their main enemy to almost destroy, not, if not destroy himself, but certainly to, to um, uh, almost collapse his society or head that way. Uh, and the, it's been a great success. And But would we consider that warfare? No, because we haven't heard the gun go off. Uh, but it very much is, and we need to look at it that way. Yes, exactly. You know, um, Oh my goodness, I hate when I think of something really clever and then forget it. It's, I should take notes or something. So uh, let's take a call from Joe from Wyandotte. He has a comment. Maybe it'll come back to me. Joe, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you, my friend. Yeah, I'd like uh, for your guests to uh, revisit the mention of Nixon you did after I say this about that. In my mind, uh, what Nixon did was right and proper, and he was thinking strategically. It was about trying to get China economically involved and into the norm of nations to some degree to keep a division uh, to some degree between China and Russia. And that made sense at the time. The issue, of course, is that then over time, especially into the 90s, and I'm going to say Clinton, but it's not just the fascocrats, it's the Sinos and the Linos, including our own Michigan Justin Amash, who decided they were going to put their own personal economic wealth enrichment uh, uh, goals ahead of the national security, and then we should have then seen by that time the strategy wasn't quite going as planned, should have been more carefully managed or cut back on, but instead they went with favored the nation trading status and all that. They went the other way, and on steroids the wrong way. I, I, I'm you know, mumbling and bumbling my thoughts here, but I, I think no, you I got understand it. what I'm it's saying, good. right? I got it. It's good. And let's let the colonel ex, uh, uh, expound on that and and, uh, and talk to that. Thanks for calling, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. Love you, brother. Take care. Thank you. Well, thanks, Joe. Yeah, that was, I thought it was 
describe things pretty well. Uh, one thing, a couple of things I would note or comment on is that uh, when Nixon did approach the PRC about sort of establishing a relationship, uh, I would think it, it, that was one way to do it. I thought, that, however, that we should have waited for the Chinese to come with come to us uh, and rather than appearing like the suitor or the supplicant. And that would have been my recommendation. Uh, but the, the reasons for it, you know, trying to split the Chinese from the Russians, um, trying to sort of... <laughs> that didn't um, work. <laughs> yeah, well, well, if it did, it well, ultimately not. But the, um, if you look at last week, uh, yeah. and, and then trying to just, you know, sort of uh, make China a little more, pros more prosperous so it would be less scary. Uh, those were theories, and the, there's a it, it um, there was some justification for it for trying it. But as the the gentleman noted, that it's like a this is it's one way to look at this is like a science experiment where you have a hypothesis that if we do this, this, and this, this will happen, and you wait to observe the evidence. And what we've done instead of after a fairly short period of years saying this isn't working. We kept with the same hypothesis, uh, really up until <laughs> Donald Trump became president. And then the, the gentleman's comments about uh, really how th this has been a bipartisan achievement. Uh, and I, by that, Republicans and Democrats have been involved in uh, basically selling out to China. Uh, and you go back to the George H.W. Bush administration. And on the Internet, there is a letter that President Bush wrote to Deng Xiaoping, the Chinese dictator, after the Tiananmen Square massacre in 1989. And that's when the Chinese, the Chinese shot some thousands of their own citizens who were protesting for nothing more than less corruption and a little more freedom. And they gunned them down. And But you read, if you look in the internet, you read this letter from uh, President Bush, and it is revolting. He's effectively saying, hey, no big deal, you know, things happen. We want to be friends. We got to keep this relationship going. And I hope we can, you know, get along. It was, it's a, something like that. And it is as un-American and just, it's almost, it's the callousness of it really stands out. And this was the George H.W. Bush administration, the Republicans. Uh, uh, General President Bush's experience in Beijing it, you know, pretty much was having spent about nine months there as an ambassador. Uh, so the republic, the both administrations of both parties have got it wrong. But where it really, uh, just the uh, the trouble really began was when China was got into the World Trade Organization. We sponsored them. We allowed them in without meeting any of the rules that were required. And this is the thing that opened us up to the outflow of U.S. Uh, manufacturing to China and the influx of cheaply manufactured products. Uh, and this was egged on, of course, by the financial class uh, that saw that they could make a lot of money from doing this. No thought giving to American workers, you know, the people who live in the, lived in these you know, neighborhoods like you would see in Baltimore, none at all. So this, so this appeal to American greed worked, American business class greed, uh, financial class greed, that worked really well. And then the political class saw where there was money to be had. And when China was allowed into the World Trade Organization, there were plenty of politicians who knew what would happen. And yet they did it anyway, because the donor class prevailed. And 
there's an excellent book written on this. Um, one that, and and that there's also a lot of corruption involved. And I think um, President Clinton was just the, the classic case of this. And you know, he was getting a ton of Chinese money uh, from when he was governor of Arkansas. And there's been good the good books written on this. One very good one called Year of the Rat, written by Bill Triplett and Edward Timberlake. This was written in the early 90s. That was a long time ago. And you will note nobody ever sued these two guys. Um, <laughs> a fellow named Peter Schweitzer has also written some excellent mm -hmm. books. Uh, Red Handed is a, a recent one. And once again, he lays out a prosecutor's brief of really America's elite class corruption. And I'm not saying this with any glee at all, um, but it is, it's a, a testament to how successful the Chinese have been to buying off American uh, business elites, financial elites, political elites, academic, academic elites. And it, the Chinese actually, it's called proxy warfare, where you get your enemies, influential people, to you get them dependent on you. And you if there's money involved, it's pretty easy to get a certain type of American to justify, to rationalize what he's doing. Uh, and they've been immensely successful. But Peter Schweitzer's books, once, as I said, lay out a, uh, what a prosecutor should do. And you'll notice nobody sues him. Uh, and once again, that tells you plenty. Uh, so the what the that's a fairly long answer commentary on the the caller's uh, statement. No. But he was it, what he I wanted. Was, Thank I'd you. Say ninety-eight percent right, which is pretty good. Uh, and you know, I'm as don't, always. Don't, as don't, that'll go to his head. Easy there. Okay, yeah. we can stop okay. right there. It'll okay, he was sort. Yeah, it was sort of right. But no, it was. Um, <laughs> it, was it, it, it. I didn't hear anything that really, you know, that. You know, yeah. cause me to say, hey, wait a minute. You know, well, the thought I thought of earlier was, and we were talking about the influence and in, in the political class, and you're talking about uh, like Senator, uh, yeah, Senator McConnell, and uh, is it his wife's name Elaine Chow? She was Secretary of Transportation, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. oh, also her family is heavily invested in a Chinese uh, transportation company. Heavily, I mean, they make millions off it. And you've got Senator, uh, what's her name, Feinstein? Oh, no, not Senator uh, Derek. Gen Senator, with Senator Feinstein. Feinstein. Yeah, Senator, yeah, Senator Feinstein. Thanks, Derek. And uh, you know, and her uh, uh, Chinese uh, um, chauffeur, you know, of twenty years. And then you got Swalwell and, and his Chinese red Chinese girlfriend. And I mean, those are the ones we know about. And I'm, I'm reminded. I often refer things. I often refer to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> and in this case, I'm thinking of the, the episode, the version called uh, Winter Soldier, where it turns out that Hydra, the bad guys, they rise up, they, they declare, so to speak, war, and all of these patriots turn out to not be patriots. And you've got basically a civil war going on in our government, you got people, I thought I could trust you, and no, now you're shooting at me, because why, you were on Hydra's payroll, I thought you were patriotic American, politicians, all, I mean, I see that basically as what's going on with China. China's in the background manipulating all these people, when it comes time for the crunch, all of a sudden they're more loyal to China than the United States, because that's where their money is, their prestige and their power, they don't care about us or their responsibilities to us and people that put them there. So yeah, I'm glad I remembered that one. And and so, you know, once again, you do have all of this, it's corruption in the background. It's it's selling out America for selling out our national interests for personal gain. 
let's see, you mentioned a former president who did that, Clinton. I'm trying to think there's another president who I think is a paid, unregistered foreign agent of China. What that president is, a, and his son too, and, and his brother. I don't know if you could, Derek, who is the president I'm thinking of that's taking all this money from China? Oh, Joe Biden, thank you, appreciate that. Now, you know, you're not commenting. I don't know if you feel free to, or if you think I'm wrong, please shake your head, don't go there or shake you know, your head, it, yeah, you're right. You know, you, you just look at it, look at the evidence that exists and you have really got to <clears throat> have counterintelligence alarm bells going off right and left. Um, if we could do this to the Chinese, they would be handing out medals to themselves <laughs> at the CIA. Uh, yeah. Not, you know, once again, I hate to say this, but it has been, if you could get your, if you could get one, well, say Xi Jinping's, if he had a son, if you could get his son to take millions in US, doll US dollars from US uh, companies affiliated with the government, um, you just that would be a good thing by definition. Um, and if you and it does seem as though the the big guy got some cut of this. Uh, if you could get you know that to happen, if you could get so many people around, say, the Chinese administration to have in recent times done business with Chinese companies, Chinese entities to help them, um, excuse me, had done business with American entities, Chinese and American companies and to help them navigate the Chinese communist system. Uh, you kind of, you know, they're taking your money. We would think, well, this is a pretty good uh, set of inroads that we have into their system and at the highest levels. And you, so that's what they've done to us. And you have really got to just shake your head sometimes and say, how could this have possibly happened? But you go down the list and you look at people who have had substantial connections with uh, the Chinese entities, Chinese communist part, Chinese communist entities, uh, and which is pretty much any entity in China and have made money from it. And this has got to cause you some concern. Uh, so, it, you know, we'll see how this plays out. But but uh, my goodness, if Mr. If there had been a fraction of this uh, that had been pinned on uh, President Trump and the people around him, there would be absolute hell to pay in this country. But the reverse happens. It happens to somebody else. And it's like nothing to see here. Um, but I'm afraid that one day we'll see, we'll pay for this. Um, you know, it, yeah, as I'm I said, smiling and laughing. Just, I'm sorry. It's yeah, I, this this is not said with any sort of uh, Schadenfreude or delight. This is this is bad news. It's going to hurt all of us. I mean, uh, a friend of mine uh, just texted me. She says China just brokered a peace agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran. That's 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 that was unthinkable two years ago. They they are they are rivals in the Middle East, and yet. They're talking about backing some of this with the Chinese yuan rather than the U.S. dollar. And it's like, wow, if mm -hmm. we don't become the dollar or the reserve dollar, the petrodollar, wow, who's going to pay our bills? But now this brings, oh, I don't have enough time. I wanted to go into Taiwan, South China Sea. But I also want to talk about, um, there's a guy, I've been hearing him for years, and I'm afraid to ask him to come on the show because I'd have to ask him this question, Gordon. If there's a coming collapse of China, when was that going to happen? Because I haven't seen the second edition of that book that says it's not coming. 
you know? Uh, supposedly, they won't do anything to us because they owe us so much, or we owe them so much money, they'll never get paid, that they live in a house of cards financially, that uh, their military is actually a shadow force, pretty much like the Russian military turned out to be, a Potemkin military village, so to speak. I mean, I don't know how true that is. I mean, does anybody, does their J-35 really, or whatever the J is, really outfly our F-35? I don't know. I don't want to find out. Yeah, I would rather not, but I would take them very seriously. Uh, they, The quality of the some of the Chinese Navy, the Air Force, and even the Army's getting a lot better. Quality of the People's Liberation Army, which is what they call all the forces, uh, is actually mm -hmm. getting better. They know what their problems are. They're trying to address them. And say if they pick their spots, uh, that they could really cause us some trouble. And just one example, the South China Sea. You know, we make a big deal of sending aircraft carriers in and other ships. Uh, and the Chinese let us go through. Uh, and what it's like... Times Square before Rudy Giuliani cleaned it up. Yeah, NYPD could send a patrol car through and it would part the sort of that the, the criminals. The and, then it, and then once it was gone, it would just flow back and you knew who ran Times Square. And that's kind of where we are with South China Sea. Uh, the For every ship we put in, China could, could, if they wanted, match it with 10. That's how outmanned we are. So imagine you're an American destroyer skipper and you've got say, two dozen anti-ship missiles coming at you at supersonic speed, and you've got 24 seconds to deal with it. Uh, that is how bad it is. You know, and you just got to be good enough to do a certain thing at a certain place at a certain time. And the Chinese military is getting to be a lot better than that. Uh, but one thing that, uh, that you'd mentioned um, is the, and it really is important, is because it, it goes to the, this question of how could China have, which is has this, it has an economy that really is a is is kind of a house of cards. You know, you've got a society where 500 million people live on five dollars a day. None of them have flush toilets, and it's got lots of problems. And how could a country like this have been so successful? How could it have built up, especially when the Chinese currency is not freely convertible? Which means that it. Mm -hmm. Pretty much you can't use it overseas. If you think of, uh, say, a high school carnival or a sort of Monte Carlo night church or whatever, you know, you get this script, you get these tickets, and it works at the carnival or the Monte Carlo night. But try taking it outside the, the church and buying something at 7-Eleven. And there's a no, please give me some dollars. And that's what the Chinese currency is like. But here's where the, the insanity really comes to the fore is that for decades, America's financial class and business classes have been pouring convertible currency, U.S. dollars, into China. So the Chinese Communist Party, the, the leaders, they have this ready supply of U.S. dollars that they use to fund all of these overseas purchases, the so-called Belt and Road Initiative. Everything they need overseas, you know, we help them with the funding of it. And if we didn't do that, then they would have a very hard time. Uh, coming up with the currency they need, but we've effectively funded them. So imagine a business that is that's it, it's incompetent. It makes stuff nobody wants, um, but every year, and it loses a ton of money every year. But every year, at the beginning, it gets this new allotment of billions of dollars to keep operating. That's one way to look at the PRC. And if if we're that dumb, you can't blame the Chinese for taking advantage of it. 
so it's any anyway, that's uh, it's an important thing to remember. It doesn't get anywhere near the attention it deserves. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Colonel. Boy, there's so much more that could be said. But we only have 30 seconds left in which to say it. So uh, this, this has been uh, Colonel Grant Newsom. He's the author of uh, uh, When China Attacks, and I think they have. And uh, you need to get this book. It's it's very good, very explanatory. I got 15 seconds. Thanks for joining us, Colonel. And uh, folks, come on back next week for Your American Heritage. <laughs>